0: Welcome to Teleforum, a podcast of the Federalist Society's practice groups. I'm Dean Reuter, Vice President, General Counsel, and Director of Practice Groups at the Federalist Society. For
1: exclusive access to live recordings of practice group Teleforum calls, become a Federalist Society member today at fedsoc.org.
2: Welcome to the Federalist Society's showcase discussion series on free speech and social media. This afternoon, June 25th, we will discuss the question of common carrier regulation of digital platforms. I'm Alita Cass, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives at the Federalist Society and Director of the Freedom of Thought Project. This project is a new initiative of the Federalist Society to consider emerging challenges to freedoms of thought, speech and conscience. As always, please note that all expressions of opinion are those of the experts on today's event. We are fortunate to have Judge Katzis with us to moderate this discussion series. Judge Katzis was appointed to the DC Circuit in December 2017. After graduating from Harvard Law School, he served as a clerk to Judge Edward Becker on the Third Circuit and to Judge Justice Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. For 16 years, he practiced at Jones Day where he specialized in appellate and complex civil litigation. He also served as Assistant Attorney General and as Deputy Counsel to the President. Before joining the bench, Judge Katzis argued more than 75 appeals, including three cases at the Supreme Court. I'm going to turn this over to Judge Katzis to introduce our panelists. After our speakers give their opening remarks, we will turn to audience questions, time permitting. If you have a question, please enter it in the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen. With that. Thank you for being with us today. Judge Katzis, the floor is yours.
1: Welcome everyone to this third of our six part series on free speech and social media. Um, These panels are a a, a rollout of the Federalist Society's Freedom of Thought project. I've mentioned it a little before on the prior panels. If you have any interest in learning more, please check it out on the website. Our last panel focused on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So just to recap a little bit, that statute provides two distinct protections for internet platforms. The first set forth in 230C1 tracks a rule that was historically associated with common carriers like telephones and telegraphs. Um, which is that the platforms can't be treated as publishers um, and can't be held liable for third party speech that they do carry on their platforms. The second rule in Section 230C2 provides that platforms can't be held liable for blocking third party speech that they find objectionable. And that rule tracks tracks First Amendment protections that are normally associated with speakers and editors, um, folks like newspapers and parade parade organizers. And it extends even if the government itself couldn't prohibit the speech at issue. So 230 provides an immunity, but that begs the question of immunity from what? Um, Our next panel will explore antitrust law as a source of regulation or liability. Today, we're gonna explore another proposal, which was recently made by Justice Thomas in his concurrence in the cert denial in the Knight First Amendment case. And that is to treat different kinds of interactive computer services, whether they're social media platforms or search engines or whatever as common carriers under state law and that invokes treatment of uh, the historic treatment of entities that have been conduits for speech like telephones and telegraphs um, or places that are public accommodations like inns and taverns So the Thomas Concurrence relied pretty heavily on a law review article by Professor Adam Kandub, and it provoked a lawsuit by the state of Ohio to have Google search declared a common carrier under Ohio law. Um, We are very pleased to have with us today both Professor Kandub. Uh, and Chip Miller, who is Ohio's lead counsel in that lawsuit. And together, um, they are obviously on the cutting edge of both the academic and the real world push to apply this common carrier model to modern internet platforms. We also have the opposing viewpoint very ably represented uh, on this panel. Uh, We have Jeff Manny, and Olivia Sylvain, who are deeply skeptical of this push and whose views are informed by their own very deep experience in academia and as consultants and in private practice. So we're hoping for a a very lively debate informed by a robust and healthy diversity of viewpoints. Um, On to traditional introductions. Um, Adam Kandub is a professor at the Michigan State University College of Law and a senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. He began his career as a law clerk uh, to Chief Judge J. Clifford Wallace on the Ninth Circuit and as an associate at Jones Day. In government, he served as a lawyer in the Federal Communications Commission and as a Deputy Assistant Secretary and Acting Assistant Secretary at the National Telecommunications and and Information Administration in the Department of Commerce. He's widely published in the areas of communications law and antitrust. Jeff Manny is the president and founder of the International Center for Law and Economics, a research center based in Portland, Oregon. He's a distinguished fellow at the Northwestern Law School's Searle Center on law, regulation, and economic growth. In 2017, he was appointed to the FCC's Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee, and he recently served on the FCC's Consumer Consumer Advisory Committee. He's an expert in law and economics, particularly in areas of antitrust, telecommunications, consumer protection, intellectual property, and technology. He served as a law clerk for Morris Arnold on the Eighth Circuit, and he practiced at Latham and Watkins. Charles Miller is counsel to the Ohio Attorney General, and so he represents various Ohio officers and agencies in litigation. His cases have touched on major matters involving state election laws, tax subsidies, and utility rate making. And as I mentioned, he now serves as lead counsel in Ohio versus Google LLC, which seeks to declare that Google search is a common carrier under Ohio law. He previously has served as a judge on the Ohio First District Court of Appeals as a litigation partner with Keating, Muthing, and Kleckamp, hope I got that right, and is a law clerk to Justice Maureen O'Connor at the Ohio Supreme Court. Olivia Sylvain is a professor of law at Fordham University. He teaches administrative law, legislation and regulation, and information law, including data protection. His scholarship is focused on communications law, including artificial intelligence and the Communications Decency Act. At Fordham, he's the director of the McGann, uh, McGannon Center for Communications Research and the academic director of the Center for Law and Information Policy. He is the president of the New York affiliate of the ACLU, and he sits on the advisory committee for the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. Before entering academia, he practiced law at Jenner and Block. Um, we've scheduled this pan we've scheduled these panels for an hour, but with one extra panelist on this one, we're um, hoping to run a little bit, a little bit over that. Uh, without further ado, I, let me turn the floor over to Professor Kandub.
3: Well, thank you so much, Judge Katzis, um, and um, I'm looking forward to an interesting discussion. Um, So, for most of our history, um, government, whether at the federal or state level, um, has regulated dominant utilities, um, as well as communications and transportation systems, um, to ensure they do not discriminate um, in providing uh, service to their users. Varying significantly over time, um, over different types of industries and in different jurisdictions, um, this wide body of law is generally known as, as common carriage. Um, as um, uh, Judge Katz has pointed out, many now advocate, um, perhaps most notably, um, Justice Thomas, um, that um, imposing common carriage regulation on the dominant internet platforms um, may be a good idea. Just briefly going over some sort of generic um, uh, general objections to this proposal um, and responses, I think might be a a good way to be a springboard for uh, further discussion. Um, So... Uh, From a legal perspective, perhaps the most um, important, the strongest objection to imposing common carriage type um, regulation on the platforms would um, view it as view the regulation as um, violating the First Amendment because um, it would be a government imposition upon the network's editorial control and judgment. Um, this view uh, was expressed quite powerfully uh, in a dissent in um, United States Telecommunications Association v. FCC, um, the dissent by then Judge Kavanaugh when he was on the DC circuit. And um, that this case involved um, uh, the FCC's network neutrality uh, rules which are essentially a non-discriminatory mandate, not on social media platforms, um, but on broadband internet service providers. And Justice, Kav- Judge, well, Justice then Judge Kavanaugh uh, said that, you know, no, sorry, in dissent, um, that uh, this this uh, requirement that um, broadband service providers treat all providers of content equally without discrimination violated the First Amendment because it would impose upon um, the ability of uh, broadband service providers to decide what goes on their servers and decide um, what sort of content they want to um, transmit. But I think it's fair to say um, that at least right now, um, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's view is in a minority and, in fact, has to um, overcome, you know, really centuries of of precedent, um, not just old precedent precedent from the 17th and 18th century, but really more recent um, statements from the Supreme Court. As, as mentioned, as well implicated earlier, um, you know, for centuries, we've had common carriage um, for telegraphs, for telephones, for satellites, for virtually every type of communications um, uh, uh, technology. And we've never had First Amendment objections, successful ones to them. So this would be a new departure. Um, but, you know, besides you know, ancient history, uh, the Supreme Court in, in, in cases like, you know, Denver Area Education Telecommunications Consortium has always viewed. That the, the rights of speakers or First Amendment rights of speakers tend to dominate as as compared to those of platforms and uh, transmitters of speech. Um, and the rights of businesses uh, and other private entities to exclude individuals for expressive reasons is limited. Um, cases you know like Pruneyard Shopping Center, which you know, some you know wise. Court savants may roll roll their eyes at um, state that uh, you know unequivocally, but also um, more recent cases, which you know I, I think are much stronger, in cases like Turner Broadcasting and Rumsfeld v. Fair, clearly show that you know businesses and private entities don't have some sort of basic integral right to exclude um, other people for expressive um, purposes. Um, and Moving away from law, more from sort of practical um, policy issues, um, many argue that social media is um, not a, a simple provision of electricity or phone service, but rather is, by its nature, by its essence, a curated experience that um, requires requires platforms to discriminate for and against certain types of content. And that's what people, in fact, want when they go onto Facebook. Um, I guess a response would be, you know, common carriage is a very flexible set of rules. Uh, it's not one thing. It's not rate making. I mean, you, know, you go back to the 15th century; it really has bases in, in feudal law um, and obligations of, of of services available to everybody. Um, in the early 19th century um, it, it, and, and and later 9th century, it takes on a more sort of uh, uh, requirement of fair dealing and openness to all. And it really was only until the 20th century that it sort of merged with public utility regulation and had this sort of very, you know, um very rigorous, um, very government-involved approach. Um, so that therefore you could declare under a common carriage uh, regulations much lighter types of regulations, um, such as imposing strict disclosure regime of regimes and requirements on the platforms, so that they have to tell us how they're promoting or hiding content. Or one solution, which I think would be you know I, I, the happiest of all arrangements is, is simply to take the blocking and um, uh, screening and content moderation function away from the centralized um, platform and give it more to the users. Um, that seems to be the, the best of both worlds. I'm running out of time, so I, I just want to say, um, you know, response to economic arguments. People are concerned that that this sort of regulation is inherently inefficient, that it will impose costs upon these wonderful, innovative aspects of our technology, of our economy. Um, but you know, I would argue that democracies require social social institutions, um, like public, robust public discourse, in order to survive. Um, you know, there's a very strong um, empirical literature showing that free speech is is important in in lowering levels of government corruption and you know, increasing levels of government tr- trust and um let's Faced reality, uh, recent events um, like Twitter's treatment of the New York Post's uh, stories on Hunter Biden, to you know, right now YouTube's ban on on discussing COVID treatments like um, ivermectin. I mean, decisions which really could have cost hundreds of thousands of lives uh, after all the dust is cleared. Um, you know, really show that the platforms are not committed to a robust public discourse. So, you know, I would argue that whatever horrific inefficiencies, common carriage type regulations might impose upon the economy, um, we have to balance them against the institutional values um, that they seek to preserve. And I hope I'm under time. You are under, that's
4: great. Good. Jeff. Good, well, I'll I'll use Adam's extra time then.
3: Thanks so much. Libertarian
4: approach, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until someone turns me off. You can Um, walk in for the extra time. Go ahead. uh, I wanted to just thank the Federal Society and my fellow panelists for having me, um, and uh, I also wanted to sort of apologize for the shell motif and, and fan behind me. I'm I'm not normally in such an environment, but um, I'm visiting my family in Florida today. So, when in Florida, so let me uh, sort of start where Adam left off, I think, and um, and talk about. Let's start by talking about this idea of lacking robust public discourse. Um, I think it's almost I, I think it's virtually impossible to suggest that there is not robust public discourse in the online and offline worlds today. I think, if anything, the online platforms that would be the subject of common carriage or other kinds of uh, regulation are are enormously responsible for that robust public discourse. You can always find a couple of isolated examples here and there, but they they are they go virtually no way toward undermining the notion that there's robust public discourse. The amount of discourse today, the ease with which people can access it and the extent of it and the, num- the massive competition that is out there today, the number of, of platforms online, the number of newspapers and, and broadcast outlets, uh, it, it's, you know, it would take a, a, a month to just name them all. Um, it's kind of absurd to me to think that there's any problem with robust public discourse today. So it leads me to ask the question, what exactly it is? Uh, um, anyone wants to accomplish by imposing a common carriage standard on on online platforms in particular and and it concerns me when i when i sort of think i have an answer to that i would i would i'll certainly ask adam to to elaborate on this later, I didn't really hear a specific uh, sort of um, outcome that he wanted, other than something vague like a, a more robust um, public discourse, um, and, and presumably the avoidance of the couple of examples that he uh, that he mentioned. Um, what concerns me is that it's hard to differentiate the the push for. Uh, common carriage type regime here from what seems to me to be um, an objective of using the government to try to force politically uh, preferenced speech in in contexts in which the First Amendment very clearly prohibits it. Um, That's not to say that that common carriage is inconsistent with the First Amendment. There are, of course, plenty of contexts in which it's allowed. But when it comes to communications, it is very firmly circumscribed, and in ways that I don't think are are even closely uh, close to being applicable here. Again, I, I won't belabor it. and We can talk more about it later. But looking back at Prunyard and and Turner and Fair, um, I just don't think you you have the conditions that are that are similar to the ones here. And most importantly, is the fact that communication is extraordinarily diverse on online platforms. And that's by design. Um, the these these platforms that that are being complained about. Um, let's just pick Twitter as a general example. But but it's important to note that they're all widely differentiated. The the content that appears on Twitter would be utterly useless if it weren't for moderation and the differentiation um, among the the content that appears. To have a discourse, you have to have differing points of view, and you have these these communications, these these um, debates that happen on Twitter all the time. Um, but obviously, uh, Twitter could become a you know a, a cesspool of all kinds of um, uh, horrible uh, content were it not for content moderation by Twitter and and obviously the other platforms like it. I don't think anyone wants the I hope no one wants the platforms to be unable to engage in content moderation, which again, is why I fear that the common carriage type proposals are an effort not to undermine the notion of content moderation, but simply to impose a kind of preferred content moderation uh, around the margins that the proponents care about. What bothers me most about this is that there are problems on these platforms. There are Types of content that appear that are indeed unlawful, harmful, and potentially problematic, um, but they don't strike me as the kinds of things that people who are promoting a common carriage for, for kind of uh, a regime actually care about. Adam's examples went to the the New York Post uh, thing and and um, uh, misinformation around COVID excuse me, those are not um, examples of uh, of, uh, libelous communication or tortious communication. Those are examples of kinds of communication that some people would like to see more of, but very notably other people would like to see less of. Which gets me to the next point about common carriage, which is common carriage is inherently a government uh, enforced kind of regime. Um, Adam mentioned a couple of of ways that he would like to see it implemented. And I wanna come back to those um but well i'll actually i'll address them right now those aren't common carriage the kinds of things that adam mentioned the kinds of uh, you know uh, ceding more control to users for example um you don't need a common carriage approach to impose those kinds of uh, of obligations on platforms um so again i worry that and, and and it may be useful to do so i i don't think i would support the exact uh, uh, restraints that that Adam mentioned, but I do support quite a few uh, potential constraints that go beyond what Section 230, you know, that, that would impose some liability beyond Section 230's immunity. But there's a massive space between common carriage, mandating carriage of all like s- situated comers uh, uh, similarly, and on um, non-discriminatory fashion, and imposing some constraints or some regulations on the carriers of, the, of that content. I don't see why a common carriage approach is in any way required to impose, for example, uh, the kinds of uh, obligations that are well-established in the common law that have to do with a uh, uh, you know, duty of care to prevent harm by the least cost avoider in certain contexts. We have myriad examples of that none of them occurring in what would be typically considered common carriage type situations. Um, and yet I think they're far more uh, applicable and relevant to the, the social media and online platform context. Um, again, just to, to underscore the point, my fear is the the preference for a common carriage approach is because those proposing it want to impose obligations on these these platforms to carry speech in a way that the First Amendment simply doesn't permit. They don't like what they see for some reason, and uh, they'd like to see more or less of um, uh, the kind of content that is currently available on these platforms. Mm-hmm. Leaving aside that all of this content is generally available in lots of other contexts, um, I think that is not an appropriate objective for the government to pursue, nor do I think it's an advisable one for any of us to, to pursue. I haven't been following the time, but I assume I have a couple more minutes, right? Yeah, about three more minutes. Yeah, perfect. I wanted to to talk a little bit more about what I think is um, what I think is the biggest problem with the application of uh, mandatory sort of non discrimination mandatory carry kind of regime on these platforms, and that is the 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 extent of differentiation and the extent of moderation that's required on these platforms. Common carriage is imposed in circumstances where you tend to see. Uh, commodity-like products being transported in, um, if you can apply the term commodity-like ways, uh, a railroad transporting lumber or any other goods. Um, I I know there are some examples where it's slightly more complicated, but I would certainly like to note that when you get to those, like cable, for example, um, uh, when you get to the communications context and you start to to, to, uh, bump up against speech issues, the kinds of constraints that are allowable under common carriage are far, far more limited. Um, but most importantly is this, that the kind of, uh, result you get from imposing common carriage is uniformity. And the very sine qua non of these platforms is the lack of uniformity. There's such a mismatch between the underlying logic of common carriage and, um, uh, and the kinds of outcomes that Common Carriage contemplates and what these platforms do that I, I just don't really understand how anyone thinks it's, it's uh, appropriate. I do understand the notion that they think there's a public interest here, and I believe that's correct. There are lots of circumstances in the world today, in in the U.S. today, in which uh, we have industries and products and activities that are absolutely imbued with a, a, a public interest. Um, concern the food supply education uh health care these are not there's no common carriage requirement imposed on any of these and yet we do regulate them in ways that we think is important because we do think there are important state interests involved it seems to me like it's perfectly plausible to do such a thing in this context if there is indeed a basis for doing so um, but that the mismatch with a common carriage based Uh, approach to that is so stark that I I find it hard to believe that we're even talking about it. I do look forward to hearing Chip talk about his um, uh, complaint against Google. Um, I think it's notable that it's not a social media, uh, it's not a social media platform context in which they're bringing their suit. And I have lots of thoughts about it. And I'm sure we'll get to it in the Q&A. But but I'm very curious to hear why anyone thinks that's a, a common carriage issue. So I will stop there, um, having used at least a little bit of Adam's time, and thanks for the dispensation.
1: All right, that's a very natural point to segue over to Chip. All right, thank you. And I was
0: really hoping that Adam would yield his time to me since we're on the same side of this, but, uh, you know, it didn't happen. So He, he didn't yield, I just took it. <laughs> I know. All right, so um, as stated—
3: I wanted um, to be non-discriminatory, so, you know— <laughs>
0: There we go. Uh, by Jeff, um, what Ohio is doing here um, is, is different uh, a bit than what's been discussed you know, so far uh, in this series, uh, which is we're not focused on uh, social media. We're focused on Google search um, and what, search, uh, what Google search does uh, in its role on the Internet and you know, how we think that that looks and operates and acts like a common carrier. Uh, so, I'm going to see what I can do about uh, sharing my screen here and seeing if this uh, will pop up as I thought that it would, and is it uh, sharing now? Okay, well, you know, I switched over to this other, uh, I switched over to my laptop, and I thought that I'd be able to do it better from this than my work computer, but uh, but since Apple is so good about security settings... Um, it's not allowing me to turn that on. So, uh, what I was going to show you uh, was a nice little graphic um, that talks about the share of internet uh, search uh, that Google has. And you know, historically, uh, you know, going back for the last ten years, Google has had you know a minimum of eighty percent of all search that's occurred uh, in this country and globally, uh, and it's increased over time. Uh, right now in the United States, uh, Google search um, has the market dominance of about 88% of search that occurs in the United States. Globally, it's 92%. And on mobile platforms, it's 94, 95, maybe 96% um, uh, with the most recent statistics uh, that you're looking at. Um, you know, so everyone says, well, you know, hey, there's, there are competitors out there. You can use, you can use Bing. Bing has um, about uh, 2%, 2 to 3% of the market of search. Um, and so it's simply not uh, been proven to be a effective competitor. And, uh, you know, there's, there's talk in this realm about network effects. Um, but, you know, one of the, the effects um, that's out there for Google is the way that algorithms work they become more refined and better the more that they're used and google has such a lead uh, on its competitors out there about uh, um, about conducting search um, that you know i think there's agreement even by microsoft um, that google's algorithms produce better search results and um, in addition uh, to dominating search uh, google dominates the internet. Yeah. So currently, right now, on a basis of, you know, rankings of use of websites in general across the world, the best, excuse me, the most visited website in the world is, is Google, google.com, um, you know, for, uh, with, you know, for a given month, about 92 billion visits. Number two is YouTube, with 34 billion visits. Um, So that's also a Google property. And if you take those two Google properties and combine them, uh, they uh, receive more site visits uh, than the next 48 of the largest 50 websites visits combined. And, you know, Bing uh, receives about the same number of site visits as Google.com.br for Brazil. Um, at about one billion a month, uh, and so the numbers, you know, simply uh, are not close. Um, and so we have this kind of monopolization—excuse me, uh, monopolization—that's essentially going on by Google, uh, where it controls uh, much of the web traffic. Um, and um, you know, we, we've heard kind of discussions about about the public utility in um, common carrier, I guess I should focus kind of on common carrier, kind of common carrier uh, approach out there um, and what it does and what it means. And, you know, essentially, you know, Google uh, search operates uh, like common carriers. If you go back to the, the example of, uh, you know, ferries over a river, uh, what does Google do on the internet? It ferries to you the information and the products that you're looking for across the sea of, you know, data that's out there on the internet. And, you know, there's some discussion out there about, well, you know, it, Google is a service provider. You know, it's, it's, not the, it's not the infrastructure. But if you look at the infrastructure that's out there, most people have multiple avenues available of accessing the internet. You can use the telephone company. Uh, You can use um, fiber, you can use cable. Um, And with that, you can also simply use your cell phone uh, and link the cellular uh, networks that are out there. So there are all these different um, networks that are available for you to achieve the internet. But all of those lines um, of communication, uh, all of those rail lines, if you will, all go to a central hub. And the central hub is Google. Because people go to Google to determine where to go next, and how Google directs everyone uh, and where it directs them is of critical public importance. Um, and so, um, and I can go on with the other analogies to other existing common carriers that are out there, but that kind of you know establishes the framework that we're looking uh, at this and why you know Google. Uh, is really the center of the internet, how people experience it, um, and you know, and so with the Google search being out there and being central to, to what everyone does, our position is is that that centrality um, to the internet should come with, with heightened duties, uh, and you know, as we know, uh, within uh, common carrier status. Uh, you know, comes this duty uh, to not unreasonably discriminate. Uh, It's not not to discriminate at all. It's not to discriminate unreasonably. Uh, And that uh, unreasonable aspect uh, of the test is what's really critical to us. And so Google, um, as a common carrier, has the ability to rank pages. It has the ability to use its algorithms to... uh, To determine what is of most interest and most relevance to someone who's searching Uh, and it does that quite well but what Google has done over time is it's uh, changed the way that it displays these results Um, and you know instead of um, prominently displaying the the relevant results uh, what it does now is is it interlaces uh, those results uh, with um, with what Google wants you to see and what Google wants you to do, and it highlights Google products. So if you search for a flight you know, from where I'm in Cincinnati uh, out to where I wanna go in Montana for a vacation this summer, um, when it comes up on the search result page, uh, you're gonna see Google flights near the top all the time. And not just as a natural search and not just as you know an ad, but actually integrated into the search result pages. So it's this uh, vertical preferencing uh, that Google is doing um, you know, that common carriage law would not permit. Um, if, you're, if Google is going to have integration in its web results, great, it can do it, um, but it has to offer that integration uh, to Travelocity or orbits or others um, so, that it's, um, so that it's offering those opportunities uh, equally. Ah uh, to competitors of a, of its vertical products. Uh, that's the concept that we're looking at here. Uh, we're doing this um, you know as a as a case uh, where we're seeking first to you know establish that Google uh, is a common carrier under Ohio law. Uh, and there are recent cases uh, out there um, in Ohio of common law designations of of public utilities and of common carriers uh, that are outside of the public utility uh, regulatory realm. So we intend to, to utilize that to get that designation. Uh, and then once we go beyond that, you know, we're gonna look at this, uh, this duty uh, on the commercial side, uh, essentially to avoid self preferencing um, you know, there are some other issues out there that folks have raised uh, and has been discussed about Section 230, uh, you know, and how that can apply and, you know, the Dormant Commerce Clause and specifically with requests with respect to that, um, you know, uh, Google can um, display uh, you know, its results in a way that simply um, it makes these changes in Ohio. It, it localizes its uh, results to, to everyone all the time anyway. So it can choose uh, to do this in a way it doesn't have uh, external effects outside of Ohio. So I've got uh, obviously a lot more to say about her case, but I know that I've uh, hit my time limit here. Uh, so I'll turn it back to Judge Katzis.
5: Olivia, you're up. Uh, thank you, Judge Katzis. And uh, I also want to thank the Federal Society for inviting me, uh, uh, unlikely invitee, since I'm not generally one to subscribe to Federal Society positions. But, but uh, uh, as I've said to the panelists, Our discussions about um, big tech uh, uh, these days uh, have found odd bedfellows um, among among a variety of people. And in in that vein, I'm enthusiastic about uh, engaging in the conversation here. Um, I I can't help also observe the oddity of being on an all-male panel. It's been a long time. um, so let, let me let me say uh, a couple of things uh, with regards to what I think Chip did allude to, but um, Chip stuck to the um, to the uh, common uh, carriage line. But but with regards to what progressives have been talking about, they've been talking about public utility regulation um, and and some of the things that Adam mentioned, uh, since he and I are both communications kind of folks, I mean, we, we think about transparency in the same ways we might think about um, you know, disclosure of tariffs and and non discrimination uh, in the context of public utility regulation, but with regards to common carrier, it's definitely these are these are in the in the mix as well. Uh, I, but I will I, I'd like to observe that there is, you know, it. I don't. there's not a lot of clarity when we talk about public utility versus common carrier regulation in the ether generally. I will observe that the Communications Act, as Adam can correct me if I'm wrong, has a definition of common carrier, but it's kind of circular. And the only thing it does is exclude broadcasting, right? So we don't, what we have instead is the common law, which is what Adam has written about um, and on which Justice Thomas relies in his uh, opinion in the Knight case. Um, So, I mean, I just want to set that out also Um, with regards to the current issues uh, and in particular with regards to the way uh, Justice Thomas talks about this, uh, I think it is important to recognize what the courts have said, and that is a company is a common carrier and the basic characteristic of a common carrier is when it holds itself out to serve the public indiscriminately, right? And, and... I agree with Jeffrey on this. Um, there are so many different platforms that condition engagement on the site pursuant to terms of service, in terms of use, that are varied and, and probably pretty healthy for an uh, information environment that it's hard to accept that they are presenting themselves indiscriminately, right? So Reddit does not one way, parlor does it one way, Twitter, Twitter does it one way, YouTube does it one way. I think Jeffrey and I are are pretty aligned on this. And I don't want to I don't want to duplicate this, but I do want to observe that to the extent these companies are not putting themselves out as serving the public indiscriminately, it's it's hard for me to to square the common carrier analysis in the setting. And, and in any case, you know, we talk about this as a as a as a market for moderation. Right. this is the sort of thing that, that I would pr- presume um, longstanding uh, conservatives would be interested in, um, just different opportunities to hear different points of views. Again, echoing what, what Jeffrey uh, has said. Um, but we can dig down even more. And I'll, I'd like to talk about the First Amendment um, in this in this setting. Uh, and the real question is whether there's editorial discretion that resembles the sorts of things that are protected in the First Amendment. And I'm, I'm I mean, I want to admit that I'm not sure on this question, but I know what the cases say. Right. I don't know as a normative matter what, what ought to happen, but I know what the cases say. And it's a, it's going to be really tough to to overcome. A line of cases that are, that with regards to search in particular, um, that, that underscore that this is what the courts have found to be a space where there is editorial discretion. The kind of ranking that Chip has described was uh, by the Western District of Oklahoma in the Search King versus Google case. Uh, uh, for, for that court, it was editorial decision making. And so the First Amendment could be an affirmative defense against a claim of tortious interference because Google can make decisions about how um, to rank even if it's ostensibly anti-competitive. Now, that's another interesting problem, and I, and I think Chip's points on this are interesting. I'd like to return to them later. Um, but that's a case in which, uh, a foundational case, right, in some regards, even though it's a district court opinion that's not from California um, on this, um, pretty foundational in setting out why the First Amendment is protective of ranking decisions. There are a recommendation from Google that would be different from, say, a recommendation from Bing again, cabining out the competition antitrust problem that that Chip identified. Another important case, which speaks to something I think this audience is especially interested in, is also um, editorial discretion that is biased against certain political points of view. And in the, the, the Zhang versus Baidu case out of the Southern District of New York, the court says even a Chinese language search engine that is that is forced to do certain kinds of moderation decisions by virtue of being Chinese, um, may suppress and censor political dissidents in the results of their search, ironically under the First Amendment, right? There's a kind of discretion that they they can do that. And that's ostensibly, again, echoing Jeffrey's point, there's another opportunity, you can find these dissident sites or these dissident sources through Google or some some other avenue. Now, that's for me, the First Amendment kind of resolves it as the as to search. I think social media is a little bit more complicated, but I'm still I'm I'm, you know, the the cases suggest otherwise with regards to whether this is allowed. And the one that stands out is the Prager University case, the Google versus Prager University out of the Ninth Circuit, where the court said that that social media, when someone brought a case, when Prager University brought a case saying that YouTube, Google was censoring against conservative views, uh, the, the courts and violation of the First Amendment, um, the court said, no, you don't have a First Amendment um, right here. First of all, this is a private actor citing the Hale case from the Supreme Court. And and we can talk about the Haley case if we have time. Um, but, but, but they're also not operating a traditional government function, right? They're not running elections and they don't run a company town. And those are the areas in which we might impose some entitle individuals to a free speech right, but not so here. And that's, for the, again, the same reason um, that Jeffrey mentioned and I wanna echo here that there is a market for it, even if there is an, a, a clear competition um, problem, again, that I've been cabining. Uh, I do wanna observe that the pre- Pruneyard case is really interesting, I, I, you know, Adam mentioned it, I, I know he's probably written about it, Justice Thomas mentions it in his opinion, and my eyes, as with many others, Opened wide when he cited to the Pruneyard op- opinion, um, but that is a case decided under California constitutional law, right? That is not a case that that jibes with U.S. constitutional law with regards to whether people have uh, a right to speak on private property, right? So we, I mean, I, I'd like to. I, I assume this is a, a generative and fruitful conversation we can have as a, as a, as a panel. So I, I want to return to this idea that common carriage can be a lot of different things, which is what Adam says, and 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 it's actually. A very uh, I think a fruitful way to think about uh, government regulation right it doesn't have to be carriage as shuts now it, it the, the term is common carriage so so you know we might we might presume that that is a part of the the, the the formula but let's cabin that out and think about transparency uh, and disclosure requirements which are public utility uh, regulations I, I'm actually open and interested in um, in, on, on, for what it's worth, on, in those kinds of interventions, they do well raise questions about compulsion of speech, which is as violative of First Amendment rights as censorship, um, right? Um, and, and so that's that's an interesting problem and in question. But compulsion disclosure in these settings might be appropriate. And for what it's worth, I mean, I, 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 want, I want to convey that I'm that's something that is um, that is interesting to me. Um, but we still have to get over the question if they are going to be treated this way, is whether they are truly indiscriminately putting themselves out there, right? That they are really takers for all comers. Uh, or is it, I don't know how to phrase that, that, that they are allowed to take everyone, that they are taking everyone that wants to come. Um, and, and and again, to get back to one of the points that Jeffrey made, is this really what advocates of reform want, right? That you would include um, pornographers, um, uh, you know, other kinds of of, of speak or up pornographers is people who are engaged in ostensibly lawful speech, but 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 clearly um, dangerous speech, right? Uh, and and that gets to the point about moderation. Uh, a lot of these companies have made questions and made decisions about the kinds of content they allow, presumably because in the market for moderation, there's a consumer there's a, there's a consumer interest in making sure that whatever site they visit is censored or is moderated. Right. Um, There's there's actually a consumer demand for it. So and I actually think that that's where that's coming from. But again, it's a a market for moderation where you can find what you want. This reminds me, actually, I forgot to mention one of the interventions that Adam mentions that would be fruitful is um, taking blocking and censoring out of the hands of the social media companies and into the hands of users. Um, This is if you read the cases as I read them, that would be censorship. Right? That, that the government imposed that obligation. That is the sort of thing that it would indeed be intruding on the intermediary's right to speak, citing back to the Tornillo case, where the right to reply statute is struck down in Florida. Um, and I'm not just saying that because Jeffrey's there. So um, I, think the, I think that the, um, the thing that Justice Thomas's opinion does. That opens conversation up is enumerate the, the circumstances and conditions for common carrier regulation sort of thing that Adam has written about, and so one of them is market power, and 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 um, that is an interesting thing, but I'm not sure it's sufficient, right? Because in the cases, the Turner cases, um, and even in the um, well, the other cases, uh, what is what is also important is the market gatekeeper, right? That these are entities that are actually a gatekeeper to the distribution of content, like a like a cable company. Um, and that's why that is treated uh, under intermediate scrutiny um, uh, uh, because of its incidental effects on speech, right? But that, but, 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 that the real problem that Congress is trying to address and that the FCC is implement is implementing the right regulation is um, cable company's role as a gatekeeper, not just because it is a market actor. And I think that helps in some ways think about um, the Ohio case uh, a little bit. But but because Chip focused so much on market share and size, this makes me think antitrust is really not gatekeeping as such, but antitrust really is the intervention. Now, I know Judge Katz says that's a discussion for next time, uh, but I do want to I do want to flag that. My last point is um, taking up something that um, Chip said. He said that, that um, we should hold these companies um, accountable, at least impose some heightened sense of duty. Uh, my position, and this will return to the panel you just did, is that they should actually be subject to, to, to some legal duty. Under Section 230, they are not, um, they're immune, right, for, for so many of the decisions they make, even if they are distributing information and, and content that is unlawful. And, and for, you know, that's this is not a 230 discussion, but I don't even think we should be thinking about hiding duties just yet. I think we need to get over the question of whether they are following any legal duties that are ostensibly the sort of thing that all other entities in the market must follow. I think I've probably gone long enough, I'll stop here.
1: Um, olivier couple minutes over, Adam, couple minutes short, so let's do three minute um follow ups and
3: Adam I'll give you five if you want it. Thank you, Judge Katzis. I appreciate that um, so so just quickly I think um, i I am so much surprised by um uh, Jeffrey's remark that we have this wonderful diversity of um public media I mean I think as I mentioned you know. When President Trump was kicked off a former president of the United States, when we can't talk about you know serious scientific issues in an honest way, uh, I mean that's not a, a public forum that I'm particularly interested in. The question about um, cesspools and and we want to market it in, in moderation, as Olivier pointed out. Uh, first of all, I'm, one, I'm not sure that's true in the sense that we don't, these, these platforms exhibit tremendous network effects. Second, um, it's not clear there's not collusion going on. I mean, I think what happened with, um, with, uh, Amazon Web Services and Gab, um, with the breaking of their contracts suggests that, you know, these platforms will not allow a moderate, a, a platform moderation, uh, a a market for moderation to develop uh, but uh, you know, and so that you know that that may not be the answer i mean if we if we accept these competitive predicates then you know i think regulation is perhaps um the the, the best approach the um the idea again this is um, uh, olivia's um point that you know search is itself a First Amendment uh, protected activity, um, and, and citing those two um, district court cases, I mean, I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, if you look at Google, uh, with its massive, um, as, as as Charles pointed out, it's massive and really impossible to reproduce search histories. Where You can really conceive it as not as an expressive activity, but it's sort of like the ultimate index of information in our society. It's sort of like the yellow pages for everything that's out there. And it's the best yellow pages because Google has, has <laughs> clarified it and perfected it through all the sort of AI and huge amounts of data. So in that respect, it's not their expressive activity. It's a unique um a, a unique property much like the bridge over the um, St. Louis River was um, in um, in antitrust law so you know I, I I'm not sure I, I agree with that um the um, again uh, the fear of what you know I I think there is actually a tremendous area of agreement here um, with with um, with Jeff and with Olivier about, um, other things beyond common carriage. Um, as I said, if you, you know, go through the, the, the centuries of common carriage laws, men, many things in different times. Um, I think whether that's, you know, disclosure, um, whether that's some sort of you know, type of, um, uh, uh, transparency, I, I, I think that would be fine. Um, my last point though, and I'll end quickly is on discrimination. Um, you know, Telephone companies, airlines, they all have non-discrimination requirements. They can't, you know, they can't deny you a telephone, com- a telephone because you're a Republican or you're, you're a Democrat or you're a Satanist. They, they, they work fine. Um, I, I, I just don't see, you know, the end of the world if we have some sort of um, uh, non-discrimination requirement of the sort that, you know, virtually every institution deals with. So am I under again, Judge Katzis? We're under. You have two more minutes if you want them now I, I i i will give them to charles this time so. yeah
4: um i i can't help but uh but laugh at the remark that adam made that the about these platforms not allowing for a market for moderation to emerge i, I as he was saying it i was i was repeating in my head these 350 platforms will not allow a market for moderation to emerge i mean there is a massive market moderation here. There are enormous number of platforms and it's not, of course, just platforms, right? There is traditional media. There are, There are, uh, here's a good example. We're gonna, you, you've discussed Trump on this video. Um, uh, Google is not going to prohibit this video from being shown. Um, uh, even if Google did, there would be a n- number of other avenues of reaching it. FedSoc hosted on its own site. It doesn't just host it on YouTube. Um, and you don't have to go through Google search to find it. And even if you did all, even if all of that were true, there are about a billion discussions of President Trump and and of the, the COVID uh, treatment issue uh, available out there. Y- you can point to a couple of examples where certain platforms have been imposing their own community standards that might have precluded that conversation, but you simply cannot demonstrate that the conversation isn't happening. It's happening all over the place, just maybe not in the particular place you want it to happen. But the First Amendment has never protected your preference for speaking in a certain way in a in a certain place. Um, uh, well, I mean, there are ways in which it does do that, of course. But but in this respect, the idea that you should have the right to speak on Twitter when there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other outlets available to to speak on is not something that I think the the first amendment would uh, in any way countenance the government mandating i, I want to go to the point about discrimination really quickly and, and just say i think one of the really important things that is missed here is um the notion that so so as adam said and i i don't, I don't mean to Suggested Adam was being um, absolutely literal with this. It's a convenient way of talking, but it's it's indicative. So he talked about you know you're a Republican or a Democrat and and about um, uh, platforms or or traditional common carriers. Let's say the telephone not being able to discriminate on that basis. The issue here is not the speaker; it's the it's the content. Um, these platforms are are all about differentiate about providing. Moderated platforms that prevent, present an agglomeration of content that fits with their preferences for how that content be uh, provided. As far as I know, there is no effort to to squelch speech even on these these platforms. Even though they could, on the basis of who's speaking, it's generally the content of the the speech itself. And the thing is that that's what makes these platforms so robust. That's what makes them, that's what makes common carriage so inapplicable to them. They are not transmitting, uh, you know, unified commodity-like pieces of product uh, like you get in traditional common carrier settings. They are providing a platform for massively diverse and always moderated uh, uh, discussions to take place, and and um, it's not again I say, as far as I know about about squelching the, the political preferences of the speakers. It is in some cases about leaving cutting off some of the speech that happens to be correlated with the political preferences of some of the speakers, but is in every case excluded or or constrained because of. Perfectly transparent uh, uh, community standards that they impose. Never is it because they're Republican. It's generally because they're lying or they are suborning uh, violence or something like that. Now you can disagree about whether the content is actually doing that or not, and I understand the kinds of concerns that a lot of people have. But I, I just don't think that's um, again. I don't think that's it's fair to suggest that the the platforms, even if they could, in any reasonable way are imposing sort of their own political preferences um i think that that's rather a function of a correlation that's being observed rather than a, an intentional effort on their parts
0: okay all right uh, thank you you know it it becomes a bit frustrating in in these debates um when we have the folks that are kind of opposing the common carrier uh view of this you know i think being kind of uh kind of less disciplined uh in in saying ah you know those things don't apply for these reasons and trying to kind of i feel kind of hold us to a very very tight standard of what does a common carrier look like in the wall now and so it must be that Um, you know so for example we've got this this concept of, of monopoly well you know you know there's discussion about well you don't have to use google there are other things out there you can use bing sure it doesn't work as well but you can go there you know you can you can go find web crawler if you really go and look for it it still exists somewhere but so but when you get to common carriage as opposed to public utility the monopoly isn't important think of the number of trucking companies that you drive uh, that you pass anytime you're on the highway there are all kinds of trucks that are going by and by all kinds of different companies and some are individuals some are conglomerates but they're all common carriers and with respect to the content you know we say that hey well with google uh, you know what is producing is it looks different for whatever search you do and it might look different depending upon who you are doing the search because you're in a different location Um, or you've exhibited in the past that you prefer local um, uh, coffee shops to starbucks so they're going to show you the local stuff well you know what in trucking when you carry eggs you transport those a lot differently than when you transport um say hazardous materials and there are different regulations that go with that and there are refrigeration regulations that go with some things and when you're a air carrier the regulations for doing um scheduled service of passengers is different than that of doing charter service for passengers is different than that for carrying cargo And so in all of these realms, there are different things to transport, but that doesn't mean that they're not common carriers. They are common carriers. And with respect to to, uh, the size of Google, uh, being so predominant means that maybe antitrust is the way to go. We all know that the antitrust law out there is so focused upon consumer harm um, that, uh, you know, that's a different type of scenario than what we're talking about here. There is consumer harm that's at play, but how it's demonstrated is a bit different. But common carriage does apply. With respect to common carriage, as was, as was stated, um, you know, the question is, is do you accept all common all comers? Google does. Um, there's no question it accepts all comers. On the user side, you go to that website, you type in what you want, it'll produce a result. Do you pay for that? Y- you kind of do. You don't exactly pay for it with currency, but you pay for it with data. And on the other side, those um, you know to get listed, you know Google goes and crawls the whole web. It looks everywhere, and you get listed in those white pages, uh, and then they rank it. And again, what we're looking for, the ads that we make, isn't to alter that algorithm. And to say if there's anything wrong with the algorithms, Google's algorithms are super refined. They work just fine. But what Google does is, is Google doesn't trust the algorithms for itself. And it makes sure that it puts its reviews at the top because it wants to keep that information. It tries to, uh, to capture the clicks, and it does a very, very good job. Over 50% um, of searches, and some say up to two-thirds of searches that happen on Google, uh, are captured clicks. They never leave Google properties. They're either resolved on the Google site itself, they're sent to YouTube, instead of other uh, video providers, uh, you know, or they're sent to Google travel or other verticals that they have. And it's Google's abuse of its close to monopolization um, of of internet search that is using to grow its other businesses and give itself an unfair common, uh, excuse me, give itself an unfair competitive advantage in these other lines uh, that we're concerned about. And that we think common
5: carriage is perfect for
1: reason.
5: Um, I, I, I went a couple minutes over, so I'm going to try to stay short. Okay. How's that, Judge Katzis? So, um, I, you know, I'm not known for that, so I'm going to try hard. So, um, uh, first, uh, on, on the definition of common carrier, this is not a definition that I was, that I made up, right? This is a definition from the Communications Act. Uh, and with regards to what, um, the sorts of things could count as being regulated, I wasn't. Necessarily advancing the position I have. I was talking about what the courts have said. So with regards to the Ninth Circuit case in Prager, even yeah, you know, one might assume that Google and YouTube are saying they take all comers, but that's not what the Ninth Circuit understood the terms of um, use to say. They say that you have to abide by our rules if you want to stay, and if you lie or whatever the, the the things that we might disagree about, right, Jeffrey? Um, according to Google, they can take you. They can. Um, Deplatform you, demonetize you. Uh, as for the antitrust question, I do think there's a there's an interesting, worthwhile antitrust conversation. That is not the common carrier conversation. And, and the European Commission has done precisely what I believe Chip is describing with regards to comparison shopping at Google, right? Finding Google for privileging its own um, comparison shopping site under competition law, not as common carriage regulation. Finally, I think the non-discrimination problem, to just to amplify the point. Is is uh, if if you get rid- if, if you impose a non-discrimination principle, it isn't just that you're taking all commerce, including the stuff most of us don't want to see, but because of the ways in which these automated the automated decision-making systems operate, and in consideration of the things that they accelerate and distribute, we're going to get the most explosive, the most harmful and incendiary incendiary content getting distributed. That's that's how I experience a non-discrimination principle working.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the connections, if any, between the antitrust concepts and the common carrier concepts. So I know, Chip, you said it, we, we, we don't necessarily need a finding of market power to regulate as common carriers. But a lot of concern in this area does seem driven by the sense, right or wrong, that the Googles and the Twitters um, and the Facebooks of the world have enormous control over speech. Justice Thomas said that among others. So how should we think about the relevant markets here and alternatives for speech, right? Is it an antitrust concept? And if so, what is the relevant market and Jeff you said there are lots of opportunities for speech that's clearly true broadly defined but if you're let's say you're a public figure who wants to communicate in real time with millions of your followers and twitter won't carry you facebook won't carry you and you know yeah maybe you can book yourself on Fox News or publish in national review, but is that a reasonable alternative in antitrust concepts or public or forum concepts or whatever standard
4: should govern in this area? Um, So can I, can I address that? Uh, I'd I'd love to weigh in a little bit on the antitrust issues or the antitrust relevant issues. Um, I think a big thing that I I just have to say uh, before I address your Question, Judge Katzis, is, is the um, the notion of uh, the chip raised of this being not of, of the problem with antitrust being uh, that it, it adopts a consumer? centric consumer welfare approach and that that their effort is to pursue something different. My question is, why? What what is the harm that you think you're protecting against? Um, The consumer welfare standard at least adopts a standard of harm that looks at whether there is injury to consumers. The the European Commission's Google Shopping case is a great example of precisely doing not that, (laughs) of doing the opposite of that. There is no consideration of consumer harm in the google shopping case there is just a sort of imposition of a kind of preference for non-discrimination without okay. any need consumer, to
0: justify its basis there is there is consumer harm in these contexts um which is and, what well so the consumer harm uh is occurs a couple different ways one uh because google can kind of do this sleight of link uh if you will um you know it can uh send uh, customers to to sources that are not what that are not the best for them. For example, you know when it when it prefers uh, Google reviews over say uh, Tripadvisor or Yelp or something like that, uh, it could be sending people to uh, less uh, quality con uh, con me, content. So they're sending them to things that, that provide problems for them. Uh, It's, of
4: course, not sending them anywhere. I mean, what's interesting about the... Wait, 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 wait. So that's part of the consumer... There's another aspect... I'm going to intervene here
0: one
1: at a time. Chip, you want to finish the thought?
0: Yes. And so the the other aspect of consumer harm that exists is the lack of innovation. If Google is able to suck up uh, everything and kind of steer everything to, to Google, Uh, then you're going to have less competitors out there and less innovation. And so that's eventually going to harm customers. My point is, is it's difficult to establish all of that in the antitrust realm uh, where we can deal with that in common carriage
4: uh, rather easily. Okay, OK, it is difficult. It is difficult to establish long-term speculative, um, you know, innovation-related harms. And and that's by design in the antitrust context. And and the case, the places where we've imposed sort of common carriage restraints um, are, I think, cases where, well, actually, I, I don't want to speak to those because I think a lot of them are, are faulty as well. But but the point really is to say, um, just because you can identify a theoretical possibility of harm doesn't mean that that you've justified imposition of this constraint, which, by the way, acts precisely in the nature of a constraint on innovation. The thing that you're complaining about in particular is an innovation by Google to start offering direct answers to queries at the top of its search result pages rather than the the, the, the 10 blue links that take you out elsewhere. That innovation arguably wouldn't or couldn't occur under the scheme that you're, you're suggesting. It's hard to know in any meaningful way, whether that loss of innovation would be greater or less than the kind of theoretical perspective loss of innovation that you're talking about, I think on the market definition point you asked about Judge just really quickly, I just want to say, I think it's a it's a it's a, an interesting question, and and I suppose one that sort of doesn't apply in the common carrier context in the sense that if. The relevant conditions are met if you're holding yourself out as a as a you know provider to all comers, which is you know debatable. Um, and if the government decides and is able to impose the constraint, I don't think there's any reason that it has to sort of justify it by reference to to the kind of relevant market you would have to in antitrust. But but that's precisely why I think it's a problem. I I think that in the antitrust context, this should be relevant. Um, I'm not sure that that it would be in any particular case, but it, it very clearly should be relevant when you're talking about these kind of speech opportunities. Now, Google search might be something different. But in the common carrier setting, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine that there's any sort of and I know there's no obligation to take account of that. And that's one of the things that strikes me as problematic about trying to apply it in this context.
3: Olivier or Adam? Olivier, can you hear us? Yeah. Olivier, you, would you like to say something? Can
5: you hear me? We hear you. Can you hear me? If not, Adam, please go ahead. I, my 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 connection is unstable. I apologize. I, I don't have much to add um, uh, um, anyway. So, Adam, go ahead. And, I, and if my connection clears up, I'll jump in.
3: Okay, thank you, Olivier. Um, you know, I just say this debate is actually really quite old. It is a rehash of the debate that um, Harvard professor Bruce Wyman had with uh, Cornell professor Charles Burdick in like 1910. You know, what is the basis of common carriage? Is it? And and Wyman said no. It has to do with industries that are open to that offer themselves at all. And it's about making sure that everybody is able to participate fully and completely in society. Burdick said, oh, no, no, there's this antitrust market power component. And of course, you know, the B plus answer, which I think is correct is, you know, they're both right. Um, You know, there's an element of both in this rather amorphous regulation. You know, I I would, and you know, I'm eager for comments from from the audience as well, but you know, One is common carriage allows for regulation without the rather rigorous, perhaps even too rigorous um, demonstrations that, you know, antitrust requires, Um, but also allows for this notion that, you know, we as members of society have to participate fully um, in certain types of activities, like communicating to each other. Um, And I think also recognizes that, you know, network effects are very are, are quite powerful there's a, it, there's a reason why we don't really see a tremendous diversity of of firms with equivalent market power we see a power law in which if you know the pretty much most areas of activity are dominated by you know a handful um and that's because we all like to talk to everybody and powerful networks are better better more powerful the more people are on them so there's a push toward that and um so you know i i I, but, but going back to judge katz's point is you know, what is the market here? And, you know, again, I think we have more work to do. I'm not quite sure what the market is. I mean, that's the thing about Google. It sort of gets its tentacles into everything. Um, and is the market for nothing and yet everything, um, which is not a good answer. Um, but I, I I think this is something that we have to come up with better answers for because I'm not quite sure I have one.
1: Let me try to squeeze in one more question quickly, which is, you know, it it, it sounds very appealing to say in the abstract that let's just impose a light touch, no unreasonable discrimination rule, and maybe we can particularize that to don't discriminate, don't de-platform speakers based on disagreement with their political viewpoint. That all sounds great, but when you try to operationalize this, how intrusive are we going to be? And I think I read, I think it was your article, Adam, I think someone on the regulatory side of this said something like, we'll probably need a federal agency to operationalize these judgments and not me i i hope not (laughs) how worried should we be with the prospect of the ftc or the ohio an ohio commission pulling the curtain out to examine how google does its algorithms or whatever
3: i'll be very brief um you know my my preference is actually because i think judges have such good insights and and we can rely upon their judgment Um, and the common carriage law was was imposed by judges for most of the 19th century really wasn't only until 1920s and I think if if we kept toward judicial remedies I think by by nature the rules would be simple um, and easier to apply because you just couldn't get more complicated.
1: Is it harder but is it is it harder because we are regulating speech? Exactly,
4: yes. I mean that's not to say that the courts can't can't address that, but I do I think it's it is when when, I'm
1: sorry regulating airlines it's intrusive, but so what? When we're regulating the you know Google or the cable company or whoever, they they have their speech interests too. And do we care more about that, or do we care about the interests of the um, sure and
0: that's. That's why we're talking about this as, as common carriage today. If we were talking about it as regulation, we wouldn't need to talk about what operative legal theory we're regulating under. We're just talking about which power we're regulating under. And oh, so the common it. carriage approach is designed to, to do that case-by-case uh, analysis via common law in the courts, and you know use, use the jurisprudence to get to the right result,
5: and carefully weigh all of those issues. Judge Katzis, can I weigh in with the 30 seconds we have? Um, I'm sorry about the my mess up connection there. So um, even if just because you label something a common carrier doesn't mean that you can proceed, um, you still have to go over the, the 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 legal analysis in question. And I do think it matters that it's that the way that Judge Katzis has set out this proposal as to be provocative. It be be addressed to the heartland of what's protected uh, under the First First Amendment. It's not like lumber. But I will say to offer a fig leaf, there are things that happen on these intermediary sites that are not political speech, but that are commercial speech, right? And that is the sort of thing we might wanna look into, particularly if the content is driven by the sorts of political economy that Adam and Chip are interested in.
1: I've been told that we have a hard stop of 220 and it is now 220, so I'm gonna turn the floor back to Alita.
2: Thank you very much, Judge Katzis, um, and to all our panelists. On behalf of the Federalist Society, I want to thank our experts for the benefit of their time and expertise today. And I want to thank our audience for calling in and participating. We welcome listener feedback by email at infofedsoc.org. I hope you will all join us next week on Thursday, July 1st at 1 p.m for the next discussion in this series when we will consider the antitrust questions relating to speech and digital platforms. As always, keep an eye on our website and your emails for announcements about upcoming Teleforum calls and virtual events. Thank you all for joining us today. We are adjourned.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Teleforum, a podcast of the Federalist Society's Practice Groups. For more information about the Federalist Society, the practice groups, and to become a Federalist Society member, please visit our website at fedsoc.org.